Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Welcome, friends, to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and we are blessed to have Lisa Turkhurst joining us today. Lisa is president of Proverbs 31 Ministries and speaks regularly at conferences and events across the country. She is passionate about helping women share their unique stories for the glory of God. Lisa is a New York Times bestselling author, having written over a dozen books, including her latest, entitled It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, which touches on the unexpected personal disappointments and challenges that she has faced and how those have brought her to a deeper encounter with God. On this week's episode, Lisa and I talk about finding hope in the painful experiences that we face. We discuss how ministry leaders can respond when their personal lives are in turmoil, and Lisa shares an incredibly helpful and important distinction between reconciliation and redemption. I'm so thankful for Lisa and her heart for God and believe you will find our talk encouraging, so please join me in my conversation with Lisa Turkhurst. Lisa, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you for making time to be with us today. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yes. Now, Lisa, you write in your new book, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, about a very painful time for you personally in in really a relatively short amount of time. You found out that your husband had had an affair. You went through a couple of really big life-threatening health problems. Can you talk to us a little about what really sustained you during this incredibly painful time period? Well, the pain was deeper emotionally and physically deeper and more devastating than what I could probably even describe for, for other people. And, and whether your circumstances are the same or not, the reality is we all are facing something painful in our life and pain is relative in the context of our own life. Um, it can feel just completely overwhelming and like requiring the focus of all of our attention. And so, um, yeah, the, the pain was something that I had to learn to process and I had to learn how to elevate my perspective beyond what I could see for all of us. There's the reality, there's a physical reality of something in our life right now that is not the way we think it should be. But with God, there's always a meanwhile. With God, he's always not just operating in the physical realm, but he is operating in the spiritual realm. And he's shifting things and changing things that will cause dynamics in our life that don't make sense. You know, I think we all have moments where we feel like, what in the world, God, when his lack of intervention seems hurtful, his promises seem doubtful, his timing seems questionable, what do we do in those moments? And so my deep suffering and the struggle with um, so much pain in my life came with an unexpected package of a strength that um, that I needed to learn how to process and and wrestle through those questions. Yet as you're as you're saying that, i'm I'm thinking through when we're faced with, uh, these things that seem to consume, like you said, a, a physical, emotional, consume so much of, of who we are. Uh, when you're in the thick of it, Lisa, how do you gain that perspective, that kind of God perspective that you talked about? Well, probably the best way to illustrate it is with um, a story from this season that I've walked through. So 
one of the devastating things that happened was um, I woke up one morning. This was a couple of months after I found out that uh, my marriage was falling apart and not at all the way that I thought it was. And um, I woke up one morning in excruciating pain. My my, um, husband and my family rushed me to the emergency room and um, the, the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. But because I was in so much pain, they admitted me to the hospital and continued to run tests. And I laid there in excruciating pain Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning. And then a surgeon came in and said, Lisa, we ran one last test. And we finally figured out what was happening. The right side of my colon had ripped away from the abdominal wall and had wrapped around the left side of my colon and cut the blood flow off inside of me. And what was so strange is I remember um, when I was processing all that I was walking through in my marriage, I kept telling my friends, you know, I feel so devastated. I feel like my insides are just completely twisted up. And physically, that was true. Mm -hmm. And the doctor said something to me in the moments before he took me into surgery, he said, Lisa, I know that you've been begging God to take away your pain, but if God would have answered that prayer, you would be dead right now because you were in so much pain. We kept you in the hospital because you were in so much pain. We kept running tests and because we you were in so much pain, we are able now to figure out what was wrong with you and save your life. So the pain was not an act of cruelty by God. It was an act of great mercy. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I'm able now to have that perspective shift, like you were saying, how crucial it is that that's exactly what our faith does sometimes. It allows us to shift our perspective. And now I don't think when I go through situations with pain, I don't think I'm as tempted to say, you know, God, where are you? Why are you being aloof? Why aren't you doing something you're very capable of doing now? I'm able to have that perspective shift of God loves me too much to answer my prayer at any other time than the right time and in any other way than the right way. Mm, that's beautiful, Lisa. As you're sharing that story, you know, your your personal struggles have compounded, right? So you're, you're shocked about um, what's going on with your marriage. Your marriage is crumbling around you. Then you have, you know, this, you know, very life-threatening issue, intense physical pain. Um, and then after that, you learn that you have breast cancer. It just seems like one thing piled on top of another, piled on top of another, and I can't help but wonder how how did you how did you kind of navigate that when you felt like well you know the first shocker was big enough right and so now we've got something else on top of that how did you hang on to hope in the midst of all of that? Well, there were moments where I really struggled to hang on to hope. I'll be honest because it just seemed uh, like too much for one person to process. Right. But I I knew that when my own faith got shaky, I had to go stand on the faith of some of my friends who I knew were praying more words for me than they were speaking about me or speaking to me. And I knew that if I could just get in close proximity with those friends and stand on their faith, they would preach messages to me of God's promises. They weren't about trying to explain why I was going through what I was going through. I didn't need anybody to try to explain it to me. I didn't need them to put pat Christian answers like bumper sticker phrases on my very deep pain. Um, I needed them to stand there and remind me of who God is and read verses about his faithfulness 
and give me reminders about um, from his word about other people in the Bible that had unlikely pathways to extraordinary um, outcomes. And um, I, I had to have them doing that. You know, one of the most pay, one of the most helpful things was when people just spoke truth to me um, and they just wept with me and they just wrapped their arms around me and they just had physical presence with me. Um, I didn't need anyone to try to explain my circumstances. And furthermore, God doesn't want to be explained away. God wants to be invited in. And those faithful friends did that. Mm, that, that that's good. You know, at least as you're talking, I, I'm thinking, you know, as, as pastors and ministry leaders, so often when we are, um, you know, someone who's been entrusted to our, our care as, as a pastor, they're going through something difficult. Oftentimes we feel some somewhat of a, a pressure to provide some sort of an answer to, to kind of smooth things over. Um, but I love what you say there that, you know, the, the reality of being present and just pointing to who God is and be willing to cry with someone or, you know, just kind of be present in the midst of that is one of the most powerful ways that we can, can minister to others. And uh, you've, you've had the opportunity to experience that on, on both sides um, as people have come into your life and have been just present with you and, and pointed to God. And then you've had the opportunity to do that with others as well. And I think that's a great reminder for us because oftentimes, you know, we, we live in a society, I guess, Lisa, where oftentimes, you know, there's an answer um, to always expected to kind of like solve everything, right? But the Christian journey uh, and our journey with Jesus, you know, it's not all, all of our questions aren't ultimately answered in a nice, like you said, kind of like a little, little bumper sticker. How can you encourage or what encouragement might you have for pastors who are working with people in their ministries um, that are, are facing, you know, uh, either life-threatening illnesses or challenges in relationships. And, and how, how would you recommend that they kind of prayerfully enter into those uh, moments with their parishioners or, or people that they're, they're working with and praying with? Well, the very best way to enter into someone's pain and have an honest conversation with them is from the vantage point of our own pain. We don't have to have the same circumstances as someone else in order to minister to them. We just have to be honest about the deep emotions that are very common that emerge when we have seasons of disappointment, devastation, and disillusionment. So I would encourage anybody that's wanting to help another person with um, very, very difficult circumstances to acknowledge that, you know, while the circumstances may not be the same, the emotion and the turmoil and the wrestling is very similar. And, um, and if, you know, if there's a pastor that really hasn't been through deep devastation, then I think, and I pray my book, it's not supposed to be this way, will be a resource that someone could use to know that they're not, you know, use, use the book and use my words, use my experiences to help someone else feel not so alone. People will only trust our advice to the level that they know that, um, we feel what they feel and we've walked through the deep places of life as well. And I think, no matter what level of pain we've been in, we, we've all experienced disappointment. We've all experienced devastation. So if someone's going through something similar to me, hand me the book. If they're not, then allow your moments of deepest desperation to be 
moments of great revelation of how to comfort someone. That's great, Lisa. And, and I, I will, will agree with you that uh, that the book, honestly, is, I think, a great resource. It's, it's a great sense of encouragement and, and just helps with our perspective, I think, as we read through it. But as you mentioned, I think it's a great resource. And, and I think we'll see um, that, that it's a, a resource that's used by ministry leaders to help people as they're going through that. So, so I thank you for that. And one of the things I love about the book, so many things, you're just very, very real in it. But, you know, in the back, you do include the scripture passages that help sustain you during this time that people can share with others and just uh, just lots of great things within the book. So I, I think it's a, a fantastic resource. Uh, while you were going through this and kind of walking through this, these difficult and challenging times, um, you mentioned that, that you were very intentional um, about certain things that you did to sort of slow down. I mean, you did things like you turned off the TV. Can you talk to us um, a little bit about some of those intentional things that you chose to do to help as you were going through this? Yes. Well, one day I was praying, and I, I tell this really funny story in the book, and it, at first it probably seems like the craziest way to have a deep experience with the Lord, but it wound up being quite profound in my life. I was really dealing with fear, a lot of fear, you know, being a private person who lives a very public life and then going through something. I never wanted this to be my story. I never wanted to write a book where this was the backdrop of the book. I, you know, there was no part of me that would have chosen this. If, if I could have avoided it, I would have. So I was dealing with an enormous amount of fear fear of other people's opinions about me and my family, fear of um, staying in my house by myself, you know, the the devastation in my marriage. Eventually, um, my husband moved out of the house. It was at the same time where the last of our five kids moved out. And so I went from living a very full family life to being absolutely alone and so there was just an enormous amount of fear and I didn't know how the story was going to turn out. You know, when I started writing the book, um, I wasn't even aware of some of the places and, and circumstances that would unfold during even the writing of this message. So an enormous amount of fear. And I was asking the Lord one day, how do I overcome fear? I read your verses and I know that you haven't given me a spirit of fear mm -hmm. and yet that's my reality right now. I don't know how to get over it. And um, so as I was finishing up my prayer time, I got this very strange impression in my heart. And I felt like it was the Lord saying, you need to learn how to conquer one fear today. And uh, if you can conquer a small fear today, like it's hard to sink your teeth into the big notion of overcoming epic fear in your life. So just overcome one fear today. And I didn't know how to do that, but I did know one small fear. Uh, one, one small thing I was very afraid of was a two piece bathing suit. Now I have to say to you very plainly, I, I promise you, I don't even think a two piece bathing suit lines up with my biology or my theology. Okay. So this was <laughs> not a notion that would have ever naturally occurred to me. I don't want to say it was from the Lord, but it may have been. So I got into my car, I drove to target and everything in me was screaming, don't you dare buy a two-piece bathing suit. This is the most ridiculous thing in the world. But I made myself do it. I made myself put that two-piece bathing suit 
on the conveyor belt at the checkout line. I made myself drive home. I even ripped the tags off of the bathing suit so it wasn't even possible for me to return it. I got in my home. I got into the quiet privacy of my own room. This was not going to be something I was ever going to wear in public, but it was something I had to do to face an extreme fear. I put the bathing suit on and I knew the very last step of victory would be to turn and face myself in the mirror. And that's where the fear became so intense because I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to turn around and face my body in a two-piece bathing suit and this fear that I had. And what I realized in that moment is so much of my fear came from my resistance to being exposed. I was terrified of feeling that exposed. And um, so in a physical sense, as I made that turn to face myself in the mirror, standing there with nothing but a two-piece bathing suit on, I, I felt myself turning spiritually that it is scary as a human to be vulnerable. It is scary as a human to be raw. It is scary as a human to walk to and walk through our fears, and especially as leaders to do it in the public arena. But as I stood there that day and I faced myself in this two-piece bathing suit, there was something epic that happened. I conquered that small step of fear, and um, and it helped me know that uh, if I was ever going to conquer some of the other bigger fears in my life, that I was going to have to do the same thing. I was going to have to feel the fear and still do exactly what the Lord asked me to do. Fear was not an indication I needed to shrink back. Fear was an indication I needed to press in mm. and do exactly what the Lord would have me do. And it was almost such a courageous moment. I was like, maybe I should just go sit by the pool. And then all of a sudden, Jesus took the wheel, and I did not. I <laughs> I, I got dressed, and I did not go in public in my two-piece bathing suit. More power to you if you can do that. Uh, but that's not what it was about for me it was about standing before God and having no other opinion to contend with but His absolute pure love for me. And that's what helps me conquer my fears. Lisa, that's a, that's a powerful story. And and as you were talking about this idea of, you know, that you were, the fear you were wrestling with was being, being exposed. And so you had this kind of physical fear and then how that translated and related to this kind of emotional exposure as well. And most people, I imagine most people are listening, uh, are probably familiar that you are, you have very public ministry. I mean, you're the president of Proverbs 31 Ministries, a very, very well-known ministry for women. You've written countless books. Uh, you speak at conferences. I mean, your, your ministry is, is uh, very, very public. And as ministry leaders, you know, as pastors, as, as ministry leaders, our personal lives are oftentimes very much intertwined with our, our public lives. And as you were processing through all of this, as you were going through these struggles, a kind of a two-part question. In, in what ways did being in ministry help you? And then also in what ways did being in ministry maybe make it more difficult? Well, you know, just the nature of being a private person with a public presence, um, it's so complicated when you go through things. Um, and yeah, you hit the nail on the head, you know, it was a very unexpected situation I found myself in. And I, I, 
I've always wanted God to be as predictable as a math equation. Two plus two should equal four every single time. And I felt like, you know, I'd done what God asked me to do. I had tended to my marriage. We'd gone on the date nights. We'd gone on the retreats. We'd gotten good counseling. You know, I, I felt like I'd done everything. I checked off all the boxes. And then this, you know, upending of our relationship, this unraveling of what I held so precious, it was more painful than what I knew how to deal with privately. So you can imagine how excruciating it was to do it publicly. And I, I have to just encourage someone else out there that, you know, there's a big difference between privacy and secrecy. Secrecy is when we keep things hidden for the purpose of continuing on in some sort of a sin. Privacy is not for the purpose of hiding, it's for the purpose of healing. So there were many details about what I was walking through that I did keep private so that my family could heal. But we made the decision as a family that um, we knew the story was going to come out. It was already starting to leak out. So we had to make the very difficult decision whether we wanted our story told in um, the rumor mill or whether we wanted the story told with facts and hope and a call for prayer. And so we made the decision to get ahead of it. Um, And I will say I had no idea how the church would respond. There are no guarantees you know, when you come out with something that's as difficult as what I revealed that my family was walking through. But I have to say, in my situation, the church did what the church is supposed to do. And instead of seeing it as um, something to judge and attack me over, the vast majority of people saw it as a call to prayer. And we had an army of people storming the gates of heaven on our behalf. And I'm so grateful. I know that's not the case with every situation, um, but it was the case with mine and I'm thankful. But honestly, I think one small thing that helped is that I've never shied away from being vulnerable. I've never shied away from being real. I've never tried to put up the picture that being the president of Proverbs 31 Ministries equates to absolute perfection in my life. If anyone had ever read any of my books, they were very well acquainted with the fact that I am a, a person who is well in touch with the messier realities of my life. So I think laying that pathway of vulnerability before I was going through something, I've never asked people to expect perfection from me. And so I don't think that they were shocked by my lack of perfection, even in this, I do think they were shocked by the reality of what I was walking through, but not shocked by my vulnerability and my response to it all. Yeah, Lisa, I think what you what you just said there is um, something important for us all to take on board as as ministry leaders, and that is that we need to be authentic. We need to be real all the time. And not kind of put on some sort of persona like we've got it all together. Because whenever we face challenges, and invariably every single one of us faces you know, challenges in life, if we've put on this persona that we've got it all together, you know, life's perfect, then it's much more difficult to kind of really walk into that, um, those struggles, and to be real about it. And then we find ourselves, you know, secreting things away to try to protect that image um, that we've that we portrayed. So I love what you shared that um, your entire ministry has been marked by this idea of vulnerability and this idea of um, being just very, very real. 
And as ministry leaders, I think that's something that we really, really need to keep in mind. So thank you for that. What advice would you have for the ministry leader who is feeling pressure maybe to keep going when their personal lives, um, they sense their personal lives are kind of crashing down around them? Should they stay in ministry? Should they keep ministering? I mean, you've, you've kind of gone through this. So what have you learned or what advice might you give? What recommendations? Well, I think we see throughout the Bible that um, God encourages his people to rest. I mean, it's built into the natural rhythm of any given week. You know, there was six days um, and then God rested on the seventh day. And so I think rest is never a bad thing, but there's a big difference between rest and resignation. And I think the only way we'll know what is appropriate on all those different levels for us is to have other people who are wise, who we know are praying for us and who we trust to speak into our situation. I had a uh, board of directors, I had an executive team, and I had, I was under the leadership of several pastors and pastor friends of mine, and they all spoke into into my situation. And for me, with the unique circumstances I was in, they recommended that resignation was not something that needed to be um, pursued at this time, but rest was something that, that I did need. And so they all spoke into how long, what did the rest look like? What were some of the ways to protect the ministry and to keep it going, even in my season of rest? And um, and they just loved on me and took care of me. And so that was unique to my situation. So I would I would encourage anyone who is in leadership, you need those friends, those mentors, those wise leaders around you who you know are praying more words for you then they're speaking about you or speaking to you. And those are the people who should speak into whatever level of taking a break um, you need. And, um, and I think that for me, the rest was so crucial. It, it wasn't me admitting a weakness. It was actually me learning how to rely on God's strength when I was so tired and I was so hurt. And, um, you know, God doesn't call us to rally more of our own strength as leaders. He calls us to learn how to rely solely on his strength. And those seasons of rest are certainly the best way to do that. It's good, Lisa. It's a good word. Thank you. You know, at the, at the very end of your book, uh, you write a, a beautiful epilogue. And uh, things are healing with, with your marriage um, we're, we're happy to hear that, um, praying for you and Art as you guys are, are going through this. And if I'm correct, it, it seems that you're you're now cancer-free. Is that correct, Lisa? Yes, I am. Awesome. Yes, I'm very thankful for that. I had a double mastectomy um, almost a year ago now, and they got clear margins, which means they were able to declare me cancer-free, and I'm so grateful. Uh, praise God. That's awesome. You talk about a renewed sense of the ability for people to change and to be able to heal. Um, I love the way that you are honest in that epilogue and that you admit that uh, you still grieve things that you've lost. Um, you still feel a little uncertainty maybe because you do not know what how life will unfold, right, um, in, in the future. 
Can you talk to us a bit about that? You mentioned that you know you're not tying a, a pretty bow on this whole thing, but life is life, and, and there's a reality to that. Can you talk to us a bit about how you've found the courage to live every day, um, how you see hope in the midst of all this, even in spite of of not knowing um, what tomorrow might bring? Yeah, well, you know, I want I want my life to be girded with guarantees. I I want the reconciliation with my husband to be girded with guarantees, but that's not the way this life is. And so when I wrote the epilogue, um, I wanted to give people this notion that though I am pursuing absolute redemption with the Lord, reconciliation is sometimes possible and sometimes not. But no matter what someone's situation is, they shouldn't equate that the only way to redemption is reconciliation. You know, I've begged God for reconciliation. I've prayed it, and my husband and I are both doing the hard work of reconciling our relationship. But redemption is mine for the choosing with the Lord, no matter how our circumstances unfold. And I wanted to give people permission to understand that because you know, reconciliation takes two people. And um, for some people, that's not a choice that they were given. But redemption is simply standing before the Lord and saying, God, this is not what I wanted. This is not the way I thought my life would be. But I'm going to hand it over to you. And I'm going to walk this path. My job is to be obedient to you. Your job, God, is to figure everything else out. And I am standing here and I'm trusting and I'm believing that you will redeem my life no matter what the circumstances are, that you will redeem all the tears that I've cried, that you will take my pain and that you will turn it into a purpose, that you will take what the enemy meant for evil and you will use it for good, that you will take the promises that you have spoken into my life through the holiness of your word and that you will fulfill those promises. You are a promise-keeping God. And no matter what other people choose, no matter what's done to me, I will stand here and I will be a person committed to walk this out with you. That is redemption. That is what God promises us, no matter if the reconciliation ever comes about or not. That's powerful. It's a beautiful and helpful distinction between Uh, reconciliation and redemption. I'm sure it's going to be helpful to so many. Thank you, Lisa. So appreciate having you with us on the Church Leaders Podcast. Really encourage um, everyone to pick up the book from Lisa. It's her latest book. It's not supposed to be this way. And a powerful book. Lisa, if people want to connect with you, connect with your ministries, is there a good way? What's the best way for them to learn more? Absolutely. Well, you can certainly go to my website, lisaturkers.com. You can go to the book website. It's not supposed to be this way.com. You can go to my ministry website, proverbs31.org, or connect with me anywhere on social media, Facebook and Instagram, um, at Lisa Turkers. Excellent, Lisa. Thank you so much, sister. I appreciate you sharing your story with us and just encouraging us. And uh, my prayer is that as pastors, ministry leaders are listening in today, that, that they will be encouraged as well. So thank you for making the time to be with us. God bless you. Thank you. It's been an honor to have time with you today. Thanks so much. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews. 
as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.